Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome again, or maybe it's your first time, but either way, welcome to High Resolution. Thank you so much for joining us again. Last week, we ran our interview with founder and CEO of World of Tanks Makers Wargaming, Victor Keesley. And this week, it's a kind of part two as we look at the local story of the same company. Today, we're hearing from Steve Wang, General Manager of Wargaming Sydney. Before that, he was the CEO of Big World the middleware developer that used to make massively multiplayer systems and license them to companies, including Wargaming, before being acquired to become part of that big World of Tanks family and run this critical aspect of its online infrastructure for the whole company and all of its games. We talk about that transition, about working and collaborating in a global organization like Wargaming, and on the state of the industry in Australia and New South Wales, and also how we can keep improving uh, the whole environment to make sure that we're actually growing great talent to create more opportunities like the one that Big World made for itself. Lost to chew over in here, and Steve is a really fun person to talk to. So let's get on with the show. A good place to start is just that basic idea of, you know, you're obviously part of Wargaming. Um, what's your take on, you know, what it is that sort of fans love about the whole Wargaming world of games? Uh, right, yeah. Well, I think for Wargaming, um, having joined, first thing that you notice about Wargaming is everyone is incredibly passionate about making the best games we possibly can. Um, so, you know, every day I just see designers and artists and programmers looking how they can like make the the next exciting experience as good as possible, and I think that's just the kind of thing that comes into the heart of any game, regardless of what the genre is, um, and it comes out in, in in you know how it manifests itself. Um, and you know, I think for me, at the heart of our games is this sort of balance of uh, collaborative strategy and competition, um, and then over the top of that, there's this huge amount of attention put into the feel of the games. So, you know, like this complex detail behind for World of Tanks, for example, just how those tanks feel, how can we make them feel super, super tank-like so that it's really that immersive experience. So you kind of put all those things together and you get this this kind of little bit of a magical mix of these different different elements. So I think that's probably something that really comes through uh, with the gamers where it resonates with them as well. So what's, what's your sort of memory of that origin story, I guess, of the coming together from 
from big world into you know i guess having wargaming the customer to we're going to actually all become one big happy family <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a beautiful way to put it <laughs> um well i guess for the origin story we've, we've been working for um a while on big world tech and it was sort of a a project that was a bit um, VC funded as well. We'd sort of seen the early days of uh, online games, got super excited by that and made this sort of custom engine specifically for, for massively multiplayer online games. And Wargaming was one of our customers. Um, and I was when I was thinking about that, that origin story, they'd actually licensed, I don't know if you know this, but they actually licensed to use Big World to make a game whose working title on the license agreement was Orcs and Elves. Uh, and that was actually World of Tanks. So they were seeing also this rise and thought, no, you know, I know we've done these strategy games. We're going to pivot and we're going to make this, but it really wasn't in their DNA. And so then they had a huge pivot and then they made what ended up becoming World of Tanks, uh, which was quite quite a remarkable That's amazing. journey yeah, to go with them. Uh, I remember, you know, talking about guys going, is this the same? Are they making a second game? What's this all about? So, oh, no, no, they just changed like that much. Uh, yeah. And obviously it was a... <laughs> It's obviously a fantastic decision for them and, you know, really embraced all the things that they were super keen on, the military strategy elements was where their passion really was. And, um, you know, it was a great journey working alongside of them as a sort of a technology partner, I guess. Um, and as they went to launch, it was quite clear that they were onto something really quite remarkable and sort of all these things were coming together. Um, and then, you know, when it, when it took off, it really was great for us, I guess, to, to think that we'd put a lot of effort into making a scalable technology that could handle millions of players and, 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 their, and their game went sort of gangbusters. So it was like nothing nothing collapsed and fell down. So we were super happy about that as well. Um, you know, and it's you know, hard to think of that because that was back in 2010 and 2011 when they started doing that. So um, that scalability that we see now in cloud services and all sorts of things we take for granted was then one of those sort of tricky tricky pieces <laughs> that uh, became a, a key part to that. So, yeah. you know, a few journeys between Minsk and Belarus in Belarus and, uh, and Sydney, Australia were done over that time. But, uh, yeah, it was exciting times. And, I mean, what I guess what's sort of that um, – it's probably a good place to kind of talk a bit about – you know, the what it is that sort of your studio does at a technology level. I mean, it's probably evolved a long way since then, but, um, you know, because as you say, they might have been at one point making some kind of fantasy game that then became World of Tanks, but, you know, you're not, if you're not making the graphics, to, if you're not making the, the you know, the, the models and things, then it's, you know, when you're at a kind of a, a lower level in that, you know, how much changed for you? Was it almost like it's, that's kind of invisible to you because you're kind of, down there in the the weeds of the of the technical code and making the technology sort of work appropriately for the multiplayer experience um so yeah would i think it'd just be helpful to explain to people that tier of tech that your kind of studio has specialized in mm. at least back in that early phase yeah yeah sure so yeah it's definitely the in the in the middleware business at that point and so um probably the best examples today are things like unreal and unity so these are like game engines where you can focus on the game. So a lot of things that are in common for a game like that, you know, the 3D rendering, you know, the network code, how do we connect and efficiently send sort of packets of information between players um, with low latency and so on. So you don't really want to get down to the network layer and to fancy algorithms for, you know, 
doing um, ambient occlusion in, in or, or trying to make you know water look particularly wet when it touches the surface. You just want to like make a wet surface and that's it. So a lot of that kind of stuff is, I guess, the that layer that they call middleware and particularly a game engine. So instead of having to write that each time for your game or having that proprietary um, uh, code yourself, you can you can use someone like us to provide all those layers. And then, you know, they make, make their game on top of that. But, um, yeah, it, it was surprisingly adapted to, to, to that because they, they are a bit, they, they have in common, I guess, in terms of their first Orcs and Elves proposal and World of Tanks as it finally turned out. They've got the, the commonality, of course, is having a huge number of players, but some of the nature of the, the interactions and things are a little bit different. So we certainly were, were working with them to, to sort of tune it as it starts to ramp up and, and really show that it was going to get the huge numbers. Yeah. And so then how, I guess, how has the role within Wargaming evolved since that time? You know, um, you know, are there other things going on in the Sydney studio now instead of just worrying about those kinds of tech layers? Um, you know, how has that relationship sort of started to, to grow? Um, I know when I spoke to Victor, he was kind of focused on that area of saying, well, you know, it's about the talent wherever they may be. So, you know, has, mm-hmm. has that sort of idea of just finding talent to f- fit into other aspects of Wargaming happened as well? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. So, first change for us, I suppose, was being a an external licensor and having uh, wargaming as a sort of a, 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 a customer of our product. Meaning, we were servicing a whole lot of different uh, different customers. Quite a lot of them were uh, in China as well. NetEase is one of our, our largest one there. So, using that main mainly to make um, MMORPGs. Uh, but then, once we were acquired, it became more focusing on from a starting from a tech point of view on what are the problems that we can help with and solve uh, to do with that sort of technology layer initially with games like uh, World of Tanks, World of Warships and the other products that Wargaming was making. So almost like, you know, our favourite customer who we prioritise all of our work for. Yeah. Um, and then in doing so, that sort of also spilled out into, oh, well, maybe you could take this game feature or maybe you could do this development here. So uh, certainly over the time as well, it's become not just those layers but now we're probably about 50-50 between game feature work and, and collaborative uh, co-development on a sort of a global scale with the different game development studios and some of that low-level pieces, you know, the, like the, the next generation consoles coming out. We're pretty excited about some of the things that we're, we're doing with that or planning to do with that, and, you know, machine learning and AI and um, vehicle physics, these kind of simulations. So that, that sort of layer is still a good core part of what we do, but certainly it's exciting to, to you know, branch back out and sort of rejoin, I guess, rejoin our origins in some way and get back into the game development part as well firsthand. Yeah, cool. Um, so is there an element of of culture shift at that point when you sort of are now kind of, you know, part of a, a big global network of studios who are all sort of pointing in a certain direction, um, you know, and I even imagine that, I guess, again over the years that even the tools for how you stay in touch around the world have probably evolved too to make it hopefully easier to to feel like you're all part of one company as well yeah that's been a really quite an interesting journey on a a number of levels really um i guess when you when you go from being relatively small to to being part of a global organization um you know it, it is quite a a transformation in some ways you know you, you're, you're having shared techniques and shared ways of doing things um 
and you know it's not without its teething problems as well some you know studios have a certain way of doing things we'd like to do things in a slightly different way and bring those things together um is is always a little bit challenging but i think one of the things that's been uh one of those great common denominators you know it's about us as human beings and in this case us as passionate game developers so there's this commonality whether it be engineers and engineers or technical artists and technical artists you know both getting excited about the same things and therefore that being one of those driving forces to um, solve problems but um, it's been very interesting also from just a point of view of culture from the point of view of um, even just geographical culture influencing you know the the, the sort of social norms of, of the different regions and of course you know Belarus the heartland of uh, World of Tanks uh, uh, being part of the, the CIS ex-Soviet um, countries and, and Australia, you know, more part of the, the Western side of things. It's been more of a, you know, some of those stylistic things that you take for granted in the way you interact, the way you communicate, um, and really getting to understand that just the nuances of, you know, the way that communication happens has, has really been very interesting, interesting part of it. It's, it's, it's good to have this sort of underlying destination that brings it all together. Yeah, awesome. And is there is it kind of a network approach to the way it's kind of structured? Do, do you sort of talk to different people in different ways or is it kind of more like a hub and spoke idea where it's sort of you go through the centre and then, you know, that's the main way that you sort of interact with different aspects of what the company's up to? Uh, no, I mean, one of the things about Wargaming that I think is, is really good is it's um, – it is about the connections, the individual connections that you have. So once you get established, then then it's 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 not very hierarchical. It's it's you know project related, team related. This team has got this expertise; they will deal directly with these teams. So we have, you know, we have calls at all times of the morning and the evenings to overlap with the different teams globally on different things. Some of them on more technical aspects, and some of them are more gameplay features. Um, but it definitely is sort of a uh, uh, you know, team to team connection rather than something that goes through a, a central part. So that I think that that, that makes it uh, better for the for the disciplines and for that the actual work that you're trying to do to be more effective and more collaborative. You know, the people who've got all the answers are kind of hammering it out together, and <laughs> nobody else is like me is getting in the way. <laughs> um, I realise we've kind of skipped over the, I guess, the painting the picture of what the Sydney studio looks like now. So you know, how many people are there? You know, uh, how is it sort of split up, I guess, in terms of teams and the kinds of roles people are performing? Uh, yeah, so I think today was described by our admin person who is here. So we, we, we do have the office open, so we have an admin person here all the time. She said, oh, yeah, today was reasonably busy. There were seven people here. <laughs> so um, so it's really a little bit of a ghost town at the moment. We, we um, like many, I guess not just in our industry, but like many people who are sort of technology savvy or technology is part of what they do um, spread out and and we're able to work uh, from home quite quickly um, we had a little bit of a jump start because we actually had a couple of people already working remotely we had uh, one guy in Brisbane someone in Melbourne and someone uh, in a remote part of New South Wales so and they was that was just more by people had left and decided they still wanted to keep working for us so we just thought oh well we'll see if we can stretch it to this remote working so it solved a lot of those kind of structural problems and we're able to sort of push people out uh, to be, be working from home um, quite quickly. Um, I think we're now probably in the, the second stage where a lot of people seem to be going through, oh, God, you know, I just want to see a human being. Yeah. <laughs> All these video calls are driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I think we're finding that, um, you know, it's very different for everybody. Uh, you know, we had um, 
couple of people with three young children under the age of four, um, uh, down to right at the other end of the spectrum. I think we had sort of like some senior technical experts who were going, oh, this is great. I just get so much heads down time. I can just, you know, sit down and not be interrupted and get stuff done. So it was a complete rebalancing of a lot of those factors. Um, I think that one of the things we missed the most is, you know, in that game development world, it really is about that collaboration of where expertise and, and ideas all come together and there's that's quite difficult to do uh remotely and uh, you know and and i think um you know sometimes people come into the office just for those moments um but that's probably the one that we um still you know are trying to to change our processes and find a better rhythm on yeah and i mean actually there's an interesting sort of element here are some of the the lessons in the systems that you've used for interacting at a global level has that is that something that's been able to apply at a local level when people had to kind of just head home for a while like or did you have to sort of come up with you know whole new ways of trying to to create the the right kinds of local interaction uh it was a, probably a little bit of both so in some parts because of the global collaboration uh a lot of things already had to be distributed and able to be to be reasonably efficiently done, whether it be you know, compiling latest game builds and so on. And so a lot of that uh, we were able to push out reasonably reasonably well to just to the local side of it because we'd had that in place anyway for, for those global collaborations. But, um, uh, you know, I think there's always that difference between a, a big a big global collaboration and that, that's kind of like, like many collaborations, you know, you can try to minimise those points of crossover and have enough kind of agency and independence over the areas you're responsible for so to make that uh, particularly with time zone differences to make that communication mm. as effective as possible so that was probably one of the things that didn't quite match because here we're all in the same time zone so so it wasn't you know that that that, it, that um, level of communication was a little bit a little bit more rapid and and we needed to put in a few things uh, uh, a little bit more um, a little bit more emphasis on a few of those those mechanisms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah. Um, so at a bigger picture level, you know, what's your sort of thoughts on, you know, I guess how the Australian industry has evolved over your sort of time in and around it? Um, you know, and clearly the last decade also seems to have, you know, a lot of things have accelerated. But, you know, what, what are some of your big picture thoughts on the state of the local industry? Yeah, well, it's come a long way since I started, I'll tell you what. Um, I think it was like we were working directly for Electronic Arts and we had a team of four, you know. It's kind of almost <laughs> impossible to imagine these days. Um, but, yeah, the, the last decade, I think the Australian industry, um, yeah, it's gone gone for a real position of opportunity with the strength and capability of talent. Um, we've shown, I think, we can really make great games for a, for a world market on a very, very competitive stage. And in particular, I guess the, the mobile and indie studios have, have really shown that there's an avenue for the creativity and the technical talent to sort of meet in a in the size of a production that that you know that 
studios in Australia were able to take on and then have that kind of world success. Um, so I think that really says that we're in a position where we know, you know, we've got the ideas, we've got the technical capabilities to be able to to do great things in the industry. Um, I think now we're sort of poised where we need to do what we can to really take that position and accelerate it further from here um, in whatever, whatever we can. And, and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's always challenging to build up a sizable industry, like from, from scratch. And, and uh, you know, I think that's where there's opportunities for, um, you know, some government assistance and government um, programs and things to really help accelerate these, these things further. Mm. Um, I mean, I've also realized through a lot of these conversations I've been having that there, I mean, there aren't that many, um, I, I guess, you know, there's plenty of indie type people around Sydney, but that sort of clearly the, you know, Melbourne sort of won a lot of the, that, that early support from government and things like that. And so there's a bit of an ecosystem down there, but it seems like it's sort of, it's, it's war gaming is incredibly successful in Sydney, but there aren't that many other, um, sort of teams up here, uh, that have achieved that kind of prominence. Yes, look, that's very true. That is very true. And so hats off to the Victorian government in the early days of <laughs> recognising that as an industry. And I guess, you know, more recently, hats off to the South Australian government yeah. for really seeing that as an opportunity. I think they're really punching above their weight over there, um, you know, with my uh, and Mighty Kingdom and, and with, the, you know, the government programs that got over there for the PDB. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. That's PDB right. um, uh, help. And I think those things are um, things that are, are representative of, of how government and industry really can work together because the first step, of course, is recognising that, that it is an industry um, and a growing one. You know, obviously it's, you know, um, it's the latest figures are, how many, how many billion is it now? You probably know. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I lose track of the billion. You're right. Days. That's it. Yeah, I, I can't even remember which billion yeah, it's up to right that, now. Yeah, That's right. But, um, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar global industry. I think, you know, one of those parts that is um, has a huge opportunity is the fact that, um, you know, if we think about the end product, you know, is just this digital download that with the internet being the way it is, you know, you can have in a few hours anywhere in the world. So you've got no supply chains, you've got no cost of goods, you've got none of the other barriers. It's just, did somebody like your product or not? And then you've got this global marketplace. So it's a huge opportunity now to, to be really investing in and pushing for, for more of that. And I think probably, you know, the New South Wales government has been a little bit slow to uh, embrace it the way we would like to. I guess we, we, we're seeing that. And there was a good report, I think, by the by IGA, actually, is it <clears throat> IGA who had um, uh, you know, the industry uh, group um, pointing out really that it could be a, a you know, a billion dollar industry by 2030, which hires 10,000 uh, workers, you know, and to accelerate that was really a call for this 30% uh, tax office op- offset for, for game development. So I guess we're a good example of that as a, now having been a, been acquired by Wargaming, you know, as, as, a, uh, as an international company, and and seeing that you know the talent is here in Australia, it's a great opportunity to do that. And so, with a small amount of um, uh, assistance in terms of just that recognition to help grow an industry that can that can provide those jobs of the future, um, in an in a overall globe, globally growing industry, 
is, uh, you know, a, a huge opportunity. So I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, both the federal government and New South Wales government uh, uh, will turn a little bit more attention to those opportunities. I mean, there's a good point there as well on, you know, because I think you're right, Wargaming is a great example of, um, you know, the possibilities within the industry and, the, and you know, that that was ahead of, like, well, it's funny, there's been different eras, obviously, throughout the history of the industry where sort of they've been... Uh, overseas companies have come in and they bought things and then you know then like, there are a couple of those old crashes where then they got rid of things yeah but but you know it feels like we're in a much more kind of stable era for what gaming is in its maturity and all that sort of stuff mm. um but you know when you were sort of facing that decision at the time of oh there's an opportunity here to be acquired to become part of a bigger thing um where there's sort of some interesting questions there when you think oh would it be you know more interesting for us to kind of maintain the path of working for lots of different people, or as you said, with the sort of, I guess, with some VC investment, there's uh, there's probably a bit of that extra incentive to say, well, at some point, um, you know, we, we need that return. Yeah, I think it was a difficult decision, like many of those things. But as you say, you know, when VCs get involved, they're always, they're always looking for their exit <laughs> yeah, yeah. as they like to call it. Um, so they were pretty keen. Um, but um I guess having those conversations, you know, it comes down to one of those things fundamental to any business really is who, who you decide you're going to partner with and, and what, what really, how really you, you expect that to turn out. Uh, and having met, met Victor and, and seeing how Wurgang was operating um, and that sort of, yes, he's not been, he's been very successful, but his enthusiasm for games is the complete underpinning of everything. Yeah. And then to be part of that next stage in the journey i guess to see okay this is this would allow us to to do even you know amp it up to that next level um it was pretty hard to uh to turn down really and you know i i have to say that you know when, when you're looking down the face of an acquisition you know you, you do your research and you find little statistics like you know 80 percent of acquisitions fail because of culture and because of this and because of that <laughs> it does give you a bit of a pause for thought but um uh all of that was very much exactly as i said we want to acquire you so we can, you know, really focus the technology on doing the next things. You know, we want to build the presence. We, we you know, find that uh, expertise is global and we want to acquire it where we can find it. And, and obviously you guys are a good fit for all the things that we're doing. And, and uh, yes, we're just going from uh, strength to strength after that. Brilliant. Um, so what are some of the other big domestic challenges, I guess, for games development these days? What Any thoughts on that? Uh yeah, probably the, the the biggest one I would say is is really what you've touched on before. It, it's sort of to create an industry here. I, I think we've got incredible, you know, talent, both tapped and untapped potential. And it starts all the way back to university in terms of growing that. But even then, it's like, well, how big's the industry? And maybe there's people who are put off from joining because they don't feel it's an industry yet. So I think so much is just uh, uh, really hanging on whether we can get this critical mass of like a better critical mass of developers, um, you know, have the, the whole industry being treated, um, you know, seriously by everyone as an industry. It's not just, oh, that's just a game thing. No, no, this is like pushing games technology, pushing technology as we see it, that then, you know, it goes into so many other areas, graphics and physics and simulation and AI and all the things that there's, there are cutting edge innovation, um, pieces to to a, a much more uh, uh, national i guess you know uh, 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 
potential benefit, you know, even if people move out of the industry as well. So that, so it's a huge opportunity to, to grow that from the word go. And so that's where I think that the challenge is really um, getting that kickstart. You know, the, you know, Canada has been very famously uh, held up as a great example of having government support that really uh, made a huge, huge impact on on the industry there. And there's no reason why with the talent that we have that, we, that something similar couldn't happen here. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest thing, you know, if we can keep on um, pushing that message. And, you know, I, I'm definitely on the positive, optimistic side of that. Um, like not too long ago, I don't know if you were, you were part of it, but there was a, a live stream again for, for um, SMG Studios playing their game of two shadow ministers who live streamed that game while they talked about the industry uh, and talked about games. And it, it clearly was just part of uh, what they saw as being you know, a fantastic industry to be a part of. And I think as time goes on, as all of us have grown growing up have played games and now we're you know we're all getting proper jobs <laughs> then and in, in government and in industry then we have more chance of those things really being uh properly recognized for the potential that it has um and then you know being able to um you know you know establish uh some of these these incentives that we've talked about um particularly the pdv at a federal level would really really help i mean if you look at us as wargaming now an international company that kind of incentive is the sort of thing that, that you know, massively helped grow uh, the Canadian industry. And there's no reason why that wouldn't attract uh, people here because, you know, people are recognising that the talent is here. You know, it's just, it's fantastic to see that Sledgehammer, for example, was set up in Melbourne. I mean, you know, arguably one of the, if not the most well-known and most successful franchises in the entire games industry decides to set up in Australia. I mean, how, how good is that? Yeah. You know, that says something about the, the confidence that the talent is here. So really, you know, it's it's the opportunity that is is waiting just to be to be totally latched onto. And um, yeah, it's um, uh, it's, it's exciting to see what, what can come out of that, I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, sometimes there's often that that question of, you know, where are the rungs kind of missing on the ladder? You know, that it's like there's lots of people who might be getting that initial training, but then there's sort of those gaps in um, how you kind of might need to, you know, I guess where you need to look when you're trying to recruit people for different sorts of tiers of roles, because it's like, well, you need the people with the experience to mentor the newest people so that they can get to the middle tier of roles. (laughs) You know, any sort of thoughts on that, those issues of where the, the rungs are missing right now? Yeah, I think that's also where, um, you know, another little hiccup at the moment, which is a bit unfortunate, um, it both, you know, with, with COVID, it's um, stopping any any uh, travel. But even prior to that, you know, as much there's always you know, a, a focus on Australian jobs. And sometimes I think that's a little bit narrow. So we've benefited hugely from some some fantastic overseas hires, like bringing people from from like the, the industry leaders, the Activisions, the Ubisofts of the world and coming here. And that just fast tracks and accelerates that whole mentoring program. Um, and so the whole uh, visa process has become a lot more painful and a lot more expensive recently because it's sort of seen as protecting Australian jobs, which I think in this case is really a little bit um, uh, a little bit short-sighted because it's really those people who accelerate the, the learning and the experience and the training, uh, and then those people then go off and start their own studios or others and, and helps really, you know, propel the industry a lot, a lot further. Mm. So, um, yeah. I, I think you know if we can we can tackle some of those things that will 
that will uh, also help to help us uh, accelerate things a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, so we've touched on the sort of the COVID stuff a little bit earlier, but you know, what's your sense of how game development, I guess, is now responding to to this becoming you know a longer term situation that it wasn't you know sadly wasn't just a hopefully it'll be over in two months now we're six months <laughs> down the track um you know as we sort of said it's like well maybe it's been good for selling some games but it's harder to make games you know what are sort of some of your thoughts there yeah so i guess in a nutshell yeah there's it's been good for selling games there's been an uptick at a very practical level um uh, of people saying you know uh you know in the back of my mind is always but you know Games are discretionary expenditure. Isn't that going to be hit? And I think, you know, during the GFC, we, we, we found out really what that meant, which was, like, to be human, we've got to do things to entertain ourselves. And the GFC showed us that it's a reasonably cheap way of entertaining ourselves for a long period of time. Instead of, you know, going out to a bar, as you could then, and or, or restaurant or, or going to the movies, you know, you, you get a lot more bang for your buck out of a game. Um, so this is, you know, with the obviously with the, the lockdowns uh, and other things have... have uh, contributed people not being able to take holidays, uh, people being you know, uh, more confined has meant that they still need the entertainment and want to want to do that. So I think overall the industry definitely has benefited in the short term. Certainly, wargaming has uh, for, been fortunate in that in that area in in that short term. Um, but yeah, as we talked a bit a little bit earlier as well, that the development side has become tricky because it's that collaborative exchange of ideas that you know. <laughs> There's only so many Zoom calls that you can take in any one day, I think, before you, you, you know, you want to run screaming around the block. Um, so um, getting together for, for those periods of time and um, and making that that collaborative stuff still happen and effectively has been much more more challenging. And particularly sort of globally still with some of those uh, collaborations, um, uh, you know, without having just a, a single link and, and two groups in different areas discussing things. It, it certainly has pushed out maybe some timelines and made things a bit a bit trickier from those positions. But, um, you know, all these things are a challenge. We, we, we're certainly uh, doing our best to, to um, see what we can do to overcome those. And, you know, with any of these things, when you look to the positive side of it, uh, I guess it's also meant that, like many businesses, you realise that there's only so many things that you do need to come to the office for. Um, and so the whole idea of employing someone sort of sight unseen remotely before was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. That's never going to work. Um, uh, but now, you know, we've we've uh, had people join from Brisbane and, and even you know, uh, some people from New Zealand are, are now working with us on some particular areas and, and we're all working remotely. So it really is everyone's sort of in that mindset so we're trying to make the most of 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 some of these aspects as well and turn them into a into a positive mm. uh so in, in wrapping kind of things up it's like you know what what keeps you excited and you know and driving forward in in working as part of this industry uh well uh it's it's really you know i mean it comes down to just like it's just fun making games really you know, if you go, if you say that, that's a, somehow I'm still amazed that's a job, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, for me, it's always been... No wonder some things. people don't take it seriously. I mean, even <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Shh, that's right. Um, yeah, but, but beneath that surface, when I look at it, it's, it's so much on the cutting edge. I mean, if you think about what a game is in terms of its pieces, it's the coming together of you know, ideas that are sort of the heart of who we are. Uh, it's taking all this, you know, ever-moving technology 
you know, advancing forward. And and with games, you can't sit back and relax because, you know, there's always one more pixel you can squeeze out of something. It's not like, okay, that, that, that's not too bad as my banking application. That's doing the thing. We can just sit back and relax on that. No, no, no. If we can squeeze a bit more out of it, then you squeeze a bit more about it and you, and you get to the next level. So it's that idea that it's constantly moving forward on the cutting edge of technology and ideas and it's this moment when it all comes together. And I like to describe it as like it's this incredible thing where we get to engineer fun, like fun being this abstract concept of like what is it? Well, we make it out of something. I don't know how, but when it happens and it comes together, it is just hugely satisfying. I don't think that ever goes away if you're in the games industry. That's brilliant. So are there any sort of key moments in your time with Wargaming uh, or as part of the big family that you're particularly proud of? Um. Look, when I reflect on some of those things, it's the fact that code that was developed here in Australia, in Sydney, has been now played by, you know, more than 250 million players across the world. It's pretty hard to beat. Like, it's a pretty satisfying feeling that, that it could have got to that. And, you know, World of Tanks celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Um, it's really you know, a fantastic community of loyal and dedicated players behind the game. Uh, it really makes a difference. Uh, and being able to contribute to a game players continue to enjoy playing and continue to come back um, as it continues to evolve uh, is a real privilege. I mean, I think it's just an amazing achievement to have a game that's, you know, been able to do this over the course of a decade and, and still, you know, through that interaction, you know, find find things that, that the players are still going to love to play. Yeah, I loved when I spoke to Victor and he sort of, I think, made a great emphasis on that idea of when you've been around for 10 years you could call your game a hobby now, you know, and that idea that <laughs> yeah. people kind of have a completely different relationship with what it means to them to be able to just keep coming back to it and enjoying it as just a regular part of their lives over an extended period of time. Yeah, very much so. In fact, I remember um, saying when we were, like many companies, looking at what, what, what do we think the impact of COVID is going to be, um, hearing that yeah, some of it was from returned players. So they're coming back to something that they have, uh, maybe sort of played for a little, have played for a long period of time, and then they've gone into something else, and they're coming back to it in that sort of way that it's it's like, oh, this was something. Oh, let's get back and you know do this again and, and go through the next bit, discovering the next chapter in that. So that that's very exciting to be part of. Yeah. Um. Any other thoughts that I might have missed that you know you think are important parts of the story of success in you know in your business or in the industry? <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. I'm always optimistic about the future. Uh, I think it's, uh, um, you know, practically speaking, in terms of the Australian industry, I think, you know, as, as we talked about, I think time is on our side. Um, as more people are growing up and, and experiencing games, then then that's the kind of thing that's also going to help uh, provide that support for, for the industry. And, um, you know, with a I think it's estimated as $250 billion globally, the, the size of that industry and, and the export dollars that, that we can generate. I think it was like 2020 was something like 83% export dollars um, and jobs of the future. I think being part of that industry is is very, very exciting and has a lot of uh, potential for, for the future and also, you know, a way of finding some kind of economic growth as we recover from COVID and help diversify our economy a bit from any future disruption, you know, it's uh, it's a good thing to to keep on pushing on and, and seeing if we can move it forward at a faster pace. Yeah, it's like we're the most natural export industry out there. It's like it's just bits. <laughs> it is. It just bits. It can be there tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I mean, and that really is like one of those, you know, world world of tanks and and wargaming is one of those stories. You know, they were, I think, 
when we started dealing with them, they were, um, you know, a successful company ma- ma- making sort of strategy box games out of mainly for the Eastern European market and maybe 150 people strong. And now they're like 5,000 people globally and really that, that sudden resonance globally and then getting it out there everywhere. Um, but that's the opportunity I think that the Australian industry has. You know, we've got the shown that we've got the talent to be able to make those products that can resonate with the rest of the world. You should just do it, you know. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.